0: Have you ever seen, and you probably have, the medical emblem? It, it's used with uh, patches on medical workers. Or Have you ever wondered about that? Notice we have a kind of an illustration of that on the screen there. Um, there's a couple of variations of this, and they're not really sure if you do some research where that came from. Some have a variation where there's two snakes and there's a dove at the top and uh or two snakes and the one with the two snakes and the dove is uh one person surmised that it was and they may be right the origin was where it said to be um wise as serpents but gentle as doves meaning the doctors are to be very wise and gentle and i think that's what i want when i have a doctor you know working with me um But the interesting one here we have is the the one with the one snake. And you kind of look at it and you go, what does that have to do with healing? And some trace it back to the Greeks. And uh, I think it could be even traced back before the Greeks. And it might be traced back to what we're going to look at this weekend. And um, I just want to give you a little review. Maybe this is your first time here. Let me tell you what we're doing here at Hope Church we're actually encouraging our people to read through the Bible this year. And uh, we're asking them to follow along. And as, as we read through it, then I'm kind of falling down and dealing with passages as we come to them. So we've been in Genesis. We spent a couple of weeks in Exodus. We're kind of going to jump past Leviticus. And we're in the book of Numbers today. And As you were reading this last week, if you've been reading along with us, you're going to come through this this event, you know, in the next couple of days. And uh, we'll look at that. But I want to just give you a little review of the book of Numbers. I think I told you last weekend that the nation of Israel spent about a year at the base of Mount Sinai where where, um, God gave Moses the covenant or the agreement the mosaic covenant and we we you know in the mosaic covenant we said that there's uh, there's an agreement between two parties there's stipulations you do this and I'll do this we said the 10 commandments was part of that we we looked at how the people broke the covenant and they spent about a year in uh, around mount sinai and now they've moved uh, we said that they were there for a, a, a year and now they're moving. They're leaving Mount Sinai and they're headed to the promised land. Remember the promised land that goes back to Genesis where God said to Moses, I'm going to give you this land. You, you, one day your people will be many and you're going to have this promised land. And so Moses is leading them out of slavery into the wilderness and then ultimately into the promised land. That's the plan. That's what's what's going on in the first few books of the Bible. Now, when the people leave Sinai, they're on a journey to the promised land. And I want to read you that portion, and that's found in Numbers chapter 10. And if you're using the chair Bible, if you just go to page 113, you will quickly find the passage that I want to read. It's Numbers chapter 10, starting at verse 11. You'll find it at the bottom of the page of 113. And it says this, in the second year after Israel's departure from Egypt, on the twelfth day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the covenant. And so the Israelites set out from, uh, from the wilderness of Sinai and they traveled from place to place until the cloud stopped in the wilderness of Paran. Um, and then it says, when the people set out for the first time, the following instructions the Lord given them. And so we see that passage. Now, what happened as they set out on this little journey? Well, a number of things happened. Um, the people complained constantly. They complained about food. They complained about the manna. They, they complained about the... Um, at one point, they said, oh, I wish we had some meat. God gave them so many. He gave them so much he gave him quail. He gave them quail so much that they were. I'll give you a month of quail. I'll gag you with quail. You'll have so much quail that you won't want to eat quail ever again. Um, you know. So there's this this rebellion. There's this. Uh, have you ever gone? On, I mean, most of us have done this. We've gone on a family trip. Literally, we're maybe 50 miles. Are we there yet? How long is it going to take? Why are we going this way? When are we gonna stop? I'm hungry, you know. It would you know, magnify that. It was just So Moses is here and all that. Now, as we as we move on to chapter twelve of Numbers, Miriam, his his older sister and Aaron, challenge his authority. Yeah, why are you leading us anyways? And there's a little bit of a rebellion there and that's dealt with. And then they come to uh, we come to chapter thirteen And it's a very critical chapter in the life of Israel because they come to the verge of the promised land. And and God instructs Moses to uh, get one representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there were 12 tribes, and each tribe had a member that would go into the land and to spy out the land, to check the land out, to find out what, what, what this promised land was all about. So they got the 12 spies. The 12 spies went into the land. They came back. They spent 40 days just looking at the land, checking it out from top to bottom, from the, shore, the, the, the seashore to the, to, the, to the Nile or to the um, Jordan River. So they checked it all out. And then they came back and they brought the report. Ten of the spies brought back a report. They said, hey, the land is great, but there's giants in the land. There's nothing we can do. We're, we're, we're doomed. We, we, can't, we certainly can't defeat them. And then two spies... Joshua and Caleb say, yes, it's true. The land is, is incredibly, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. And yes, there are spies. But if God has called us to take the land, He's going to give us victory. and We can trust Him. And you know what the people did? They went along with the, the common vote. Majority rules. And this is what happened. Because of their rebellion, God said, because you people have rebelled, because you, have, you, you won't take the land that I promised Moses, uh, promised to Abraham and Moses has led you to, because you won't do that, now you're going to this generation will never see the promised land. For every day that the spies were in the land will be one year that you will spend wandering in the wilderness. Let me read you that passage this found on page 116. Just jump over uh, just uh, jump over to numbers chapter 14. In verse 21, it says this, As surely as I live, and and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. How did they test him one time? Ten times. Each of the spies tested him. Because they, they, not one of them will ever see the land. I, I promised an oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Be, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land. And he went, uh, went to and his descendants will inherit. So God says, they're going to wander for 40 years until this generation dies out. So all those who rebelled are dead. You will not have the land. So their children are going to wander for 40 years. Now here's the principle. Majority rules this isn't always a good idea. Sometimes the majority can be wrong. So, you know, sometimes we think, and we live in a, we live in a society where we say majority makes choices. And we know sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not so good. This is one of those times where it was not so good. Just to highlight, and I don't really have time to go into it, but it's an incredible passage, and you can get to it. They finally do come to the promised land, and, they, and Caleb now is 40 years older than he is. He's about 80 now, because we think he's around 40 when he goes in as a spy. He's at least 60 to 80 years old. He goes in there, and you know what he says? You know what he says? He says to Joshua, he says, Joshua, give me the mountain country. Give me the, the country where all the giants are, because I'm going to take them down. I've been waiting for forty years to take these giants. Are what kept us from you know these big giants were what we were all afraid of. I'm going to go in as an old man. I'm going to take them down. It's a really cool story. You'll have to uh, read through that. But uh, so that's a little bit of what's going on. Uh, there was a rebellion from Korah. Uh, it was a son of the Levi, a uh, Levi, and he rebelled against Moses. We read about that. And then we come to the text that we really want to look at this weekend: Numbers chapter twenty-one. And it's really kind of an interesting, somewhat strange case of a snake up on a pole. And um, I want to read you that passage. It's on page uh, 123, one twenty three, and you can follow along in your chair Bible if you'd like to. Here's what it says. Speaking of the nation of Israel. They traveled from Mount Hor uh, along the route to the, uh, to the Red Sea to, to go to Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, we, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Now, what's the miserable food that they detest? Well, it's manna. And then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, and we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake. Put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole, and then anyone who was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. So I want to talk about the flaming bite of this serpent. The people cl- complain to Moses about the manna, and God sends them venomous snakes. Now, you read this story and you go, isn't that a little bit of an overreaction? I mean, has God lost it? Did He have a bad day? What, what's going on here? But remember the track record. These people have been complaining every step of the way. And now they complain against the manna. There's something deeper going on here. Why did God send manna? What was the point of manna? Well, manna was get, to be gathered every day in the morning. And they, get, they grew to detest it. But we know from the description that manna was, was sweet. People made it into pastries. It was a wonderful, daily, miraculous provision of God. It was God saying that I daily am going to provide for you. Remember the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us today our daily bread. That's what manna was. It was God giving them daily their daily bread. Manna was a picture of his daily caring for them. He was showing them that he is their lifeline. He was their lifeline. So they were not just rejecting manna. What were they doing? They were rejecting rejecting God. So into the camp come these venomous snakes. Some translation, maybe your translation said fiery serpents. Now, I've never been bitten by a venomous snake. Don't really want to be. Not interested in it. But some people have claimed, and some people will say, that when they have been bitten by a venomous snake, it's like they're on fire. It it's just courses through them. And they, there's an inflammation, there's a raging fever, there's an unsatiable thirst, and, and it ends many times in death. It literally, the bite puts their bodies on fire. There, there's a fire within them. But these people weren't just bitten by physical snakes. They were twice bitten. And that's really what is below the surface here. Because below the complaining, there is a spiritual issue. In the same way, below our complaining, there is a spiritual issue. And that's really what we want to look at this weekend. You see, the the, the first bite of the serpent took place in the garden. In fact, we are all twice bitten by the serpent the fiery sickness courses through our veins it shows up in our unquenchable thirst for more our raging discontentment our dissatisfaction with life our swelling dissatisfaction we many of us are on fire with discontentment our outward complaining shows our inner discontentment we have all been bitten nothing is good enough We feel cheated by God. We question his goodness in our lives. This happened in the garden. It it was the first sin. What was the first sin? It was a perfect place, a perfect environment. And what did Satan introduce in the garden? What did the serpent introduce in the garden? This isn't paradise. You can't eat from that tree there. God is holding out of you, he, out on you. He doesn't love you. You should be able to eat from that tree. He is holding out the best. And, and the satanic spiritual blight of dissatisfaction has passed on to all of us. Every one of us, to a certain degree, suffer from this. We are somewhat discontent with our marriages, with our kids, with our looks, with our place in life. We know that there's more, and we feel that we're missing out, like God is holding back, like we've been cheated, like we haven't gotten a fair break, like other people get breaks, but why not me? And so we begin to complain. We need treatment. Left to ourselves, we get worse. We're in in trouble here. But there is a cure, and that's really what we want to look at this weekend. What I'm suggesting to you is, that what was behind or be, but underneath the surface of the complaining was a discontent with the people. And the same is true in our lives, if we're going to be honest. That when we look at our lives and say, I'm just not satisfied with my marriage. I'm not satisfied with my children. I'm not satisfied with my place in life. I'm not satisfied with my job, with my economic status. I'm just not satisfied. God, why can't I have more? Why aren't you taking care of me? Why aren't you watching over me? Well, ultimately what we're saying is, God, you are holding out on me. Here's the idea I want you to take away this weekend. We have a burning inner discontent in our hearts that only Jesus can cure. Well, how does the healing come? A couple of things. Notice what the people did. The first thing that happened was they had to come to a point where they saw they were in real trouble and they had this issue going on it wasn't just a complaining issue it was a discontent Uh, you know we'll never seek out the great physician until we see see that we are dying have you ever noticed this that trouble in your life can sometimes wake you up A tragedy, a problem, an issue sometimes wakes you up spiritually. It brings you to a point saying, Wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm mortal. I've got some issues. I need God. Pain, trouble, struggles can help us seek Him out. But until we see our sickness, we'll never go to a physician, we'll never seek to be healed. You know, we can downplay our disip, dis, uh, discontentment. We can, we can look it out and say, well, there'll be a better day. I'll just hold on. I'll try new things. I'll seek new relationships. But it'll never work. Because no matter how hard we try, there's going to be that, that inner thing within us that says, you've been cheated. You've been robbed. You, you should have it better. It should, life should be better. You deserve more. And we feel that growing in our hearts. Why? Why? Because we need a, a great physician, and only he can heal that. So that's the first thing. We need to see the seriousness of our sickness. Secondly, we need to seek help for our healing. Notice what the people did immediately when they were struck. They realized that they were complaining. It was a, God was directly judging them for their sins. So they go to Moses, who they were grumbling against. And they go to Moses, and they say, Moses, pray to God that he will heal us. And that's what God does in our lives too. Many times God uses people in our lives to, to bring us to a place of healing. Some of you, if I were to stop and say, well, how did you come to know Jesus? Somebody, some of you say, well, I had a friend, I had a, a coworker, I had a, a family member. I had somebody who reached out to me and helped me through a difficult time and, and showed me, gave me the path of Jesus God uses people to bring healing in our lives many times, and that's why we need relationships. We all need these friendships. Some, we need people in our lives that will say the hard things, that will pray for us, that will help us bear our burdens, that will point us to the great physician. We need somebody to, pat, to, to point us past ourselves to the cure you have people like that in your life you see that's part of what we want to do at hope church we want you to get connected with other people who can have those difficult conversations those close conversations who can say hey what's going on in your life i, I see a sense you're struggling a sense there's something going on you know how how can how can i help you move in the right direction so number one we have to see our need people saw that they were sick they went to moses the man they were complaining against, now they turn around and they say, please help us. You're my only hope. And then we need to stop blaming others. Notice, they're very clear. They're saying, it's our fault. And they don't blame Moses. They don't say, Moses, it's all your fault. You know. They said, no, we've sinned. We've sinned against God, and Moses, we've sinned against you. It's all on us. And I think that's... We're never going to find healing if we downplay our sinfulness, if we... If we or our need for a savior savior until we come to a place we confess our sin uh we're we're never going to find healing they come to moses they take full blame uh, for their sins it wasn't until they saw their need they took full responsibility for sins that healing came and, he, and here's the principle spiritual healing begins when blame shifting ends as long as you want to blame somebody else for your lot your place in life your your situation your sin uh, you'll never find healing only when you come and you take full responsibility and you cry out to the great physician Will you find healing? Well this final cure we want to talk a little bit about that the final cure the savior because I think this is an Incredible past you know you get to the snake on a pole and you go. Okay. I, I'm, I'm with you up to this point the snake on the pole you lost me. Really, that's just strange. It's bizarre. It's odd Have no idea why we have a medical symbol with that on it. Doesn't make sense. Maybe it goes back to this event. I don't know. Not really important that that's the case. Don't really want you to take that home today as the most important thing. But this seems like a strange way to get a healing. God says to Moses, okay, here's what I want you to do, Moses. He didn't say, I want you to pray for the people. I want you to... Forgive the people. I want you to lay hands on the people. I want you to have them drink this this anti-venom, whatever. He doesn't say that. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a pole, and I want you to put a snake on it. And when people look at the snake, they'll be healed. And you go, (laughs) wait a minute. That was what bit them. That's what gave them the, the, the venom. That's what's coursing through their body. And they might look at the, cro- at the, at the pole and they might say, Ah! <laughs> you know? It, and you know, think about it. You think about the serpent in Israel. The serpent was an unclean animal. There were certain animals that were clean and unclean, and the serpent was unclean. They weren't supposed to hang around and have serpents run. It probably goes back to the garden. So there's a lot of reasons why this just doesn't seem right. So how are we to make sense of the snake on the pole? Well, that's where we jump to the New Testament. Because centuries later, Jesus one night had a religious leader come to him. His name was Nicodemus, and he was a religious teacher. I mean, he was one of the top teachers in religion of, uh, in Jesus' day. And he comes to Jesus probably at night because he doesn't want to be seen publicly with Jesus because he doesn't really know who Jesus is. He doesn't know being seen with him, and now Jesus got a bad reputation. So, but he thinks there's something to this Jesus. And in the midst of of his dialogue with Jesus that night, Jesus utters the most, probably the most, well-known verse in the Bible. You've seen the guy holding up the sign? I have a picture. You ever see that guy holding that sign? Maybe not that guy, but you've seen it, right? He's right behind the field goal thing with John 3.16. Maybe you know that verse. Maybe you don't know what it is. Something to do with John and 3 and 16. You figured that out, did you? (laughs) Well, if you go to page 811 of your chair Bible, you'll see those verses. Let me read them to you. I'm going to start at verse 14 and then finish with verse 16. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... This is speaking of our event that we've just been looking at. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. And here's verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you have your Bible here, or your your apple, or whatever droid you should underline those verses, or at least John 3.16. If you can't underline that, I would have no idea what you could underline. You should have that underlined, and let me suggest that you memorize it. Because I believe it's the Gospel, the good news, in a nutshell. Jesus points Nicodemus to this snake-on-the-pole incident, and he says, what that was... I am. Now, what does that mean? Well, what's the point here? What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is this. The people who are bitten look to the image of their pain for their salvation. Those of us who are dying, not physically, but spiritually, we're dying physically, but we're also dying spiritually. We look to a dying man on a cross for our salvation. Don't. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews twelve two, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the writer of Hebrews says our eyes should be fixed on the beginning and the continuing of our faith, and it's Jesus Christ. We should look to Jesus. Now how can Jesus be like this bronze serpent? Paul writes this in Second Corinthians 5, God made Him, Jesus, who, knew no, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul is saying is really important. The Apostle Paul is saying that Jesus became sinful. He is saying that he, he, he isn't, he is saying, uh, he, excuse me, let me say that again, and let me correct it. You can edit that on the tape. They can't, but and they won't, but I'll say it again. It's not saying that Jesus became sinful. It's saying that Jesus took on our sin. He became sin for us. He never committed a sin but he became sin for us. He took on sin. He took all evil. He took all sin upon himself. He took the poison. He knew the infinite thirst. He experienced the infinite discontent. He experienced hell for us. He was put on fire for us. He died for us so that we could be healed. He experienced hell for us so that we could be healed. Now, how do we get this healing? Well, we're healed in the same way as the people of Moses Day were healed. What did they do? They didn't touch the snake. They didn't walk over and say anything to the snake. They didn't they basically all they did was they looked to the pole. And Jesus tells us, or we are told, that we look to the cross jesus calls us to believe to trust in him that we're not healed by we are healed by looking not by doing Salvation's not a work that we do it's a gift that we're given the people couldn't climb up and touch the snake uh, they were too weak many of them died um, the most they could do was roll over and look to the pole Jesus tells us to look to Jesus, or the writer of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher for our faith. All they could do was to look, to trust, to believe, and when they trusted, they were healed. And that's how we receive you say, "But wait a minute, that's too easy. It, it, I feel like I have to do something, no. Jesus has done it for you. It's kind of like your physical birth. Think about that for a moment. By the way. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says that in the same chapter of John 3, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, how do I enter back into my mother's womb? Of course, Jesus is not speaking of physical birth here. He's speaking of a spiritual birth. He's saying just as you were born physically, you need to be born spiritually. There needs to be a spiritual birth or a second birth. Now think about your first birth, your physical birth. You know, you had nothing to do with it. Do you know that? Of course you do. You were born by labor, pain, and love, but it was of someone else, wasn't it? The mothers are nodding. Yes, it was. It was painful, and it was labor, and it was difficult, and you had nothing to do other than it caused most of that pain and labor. <laughs> Jesus tells Nicodemus, That he must have a spiritual rebirth. Earlier in John's Gospel, two chapters earlier than John chapter 3, in verse 16, he says this in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 All who received him to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children, not of natu- born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband 's will, but born of god you see john 's talking again here about a spiritual birth, so I ask you again, you know some people and in this community i 've heard people say, well that that you know there 's a bunch of Jesus freaks out in that hope church pe- those people are all Jesus freaks, they talk about being born again and all that stuff, and yes, we do. We proudly do that. Why? Because Jesus says that's what we need to do. You need to be born again. You know, I mean, it's in the Word, it's in the Scripture. That's why we say it. You don't have an issue with Hope Church, you have an issue with Jesus. See, we often come to Jesus and we often come to God and we ask, What do you want me to do? <laughs> And Moses basically said to the people, there's nothing you can do. You're helpless. You're hopeless. You're dead. You're dying. Look to the pole and find life. And Jesus says to us, you're helpless. You're hopeless. You're dying. It doesn't matter if you go to church every day. It doesn't matter if you... if you." Uh, Go through all the rituals and regulations and requirements that church may have. It doesn't matter whether you've been born in a Christian family. John once talks about that. You know, it's not about that. You look to Jesus. You say, I'm lost. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I have this discontent within me. And the only way that I'll be healed from that discontent is if I look to the cross. And I find healing. And I find the." The Great Physician. See, it's not about doing. It's not about attempting to do something. Jesus basically, on the cross, said this. His last words. It is finished. What was he saying there? It's done. I did it for you. I took the bite for you. I took the fire for you. I took the discontent. I took hell. I took sin for you. It's done. The penalty is, is paid. The price is paid. I, 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 I took it for you. If you just look to me, you will be healed. All your efforts will fail. You need a Savior. His name is Jesus. He climbed a pole. He climbed a cross for you to bring you healing because you've been snake bitten and it's terminal and you will not live forever unless you look to the cross nothing else will secure you the only cure is looking to him hanging on the cross for you so I ask you has there been a day in your life has there been a moment where you've called upon the Lord and found that salvation Jesus says to a very religious man Nicodemus you're a good man. You know the law better than anyone. You follow the law better than anyone. But even you Nicodemus need to be born again. Have you been born again? Have you called upon Jesus? Have you looked to the cross? Are you looking to the cross? Or are you saying, "Well, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to try my try my hardest." You don't get it. You don't get it. You're helpless and hopeless. You need a savior. And just as the people who looked to the pole and saw the snake were healed, when we look to Jesus, we will find healing. We will find the great physician. We will find the one who paid the price for our sins. So come to a place and realize that you can't save yourself, that you need somebody beside you to come and to save you. And he has come, and he has provided a way back to the Father. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved shall be healed. Have you found that healing? If not, I'd love to talk to you before you leave today. Whoever calls on the Lord will find that healing. I pray that you would find that healing and that you would walk in it. If you know Jesus and you're discontent, you need to look back to the cross. You see, we don't stop looking to the cross. We continue gazing upon it, delving on it, thinking on it, reflecting on it, understanding it. And we understand That he provides everything that we need. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you tonight, we thank you that you love us. And this weekend, Father, we pray that if there's anyone who has never called upon the Lord, this would be the weekend that they would say yes to Jesus. That they would see they were lost and they're helpless and they're hopeless. They've been snake bit. And the only cure is Jesus, hanging on a cross. That they would look to Jesus, the author. Finisher of their faith, and that they would call upon a Savior that loves them, that they would find the great physician who can heal them, that they would find life. And Father, I just ask that you for those of us who have called upon Jesus, that we would look to you when we begin to complain, and we would see below the the complaining, below the surface, there's discontent that has creeped in again, and help us again to look to the cross to find our cure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.